Now, according to the way that I've divided the study, this closing section, verse 5 to 14, um, this will be a separate recording that's posted online. So if you're just tuning into our recording, uh, we are in the middle of one of our studies, but we're wrapping up the final section now. And this is page 21 of your study guide. 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 5. Uh, help yourself to the copies on the table. Um, there should be some left there. Since this is the last study, uh, grab whatever's left on the table. Help yourself there. Okay, otherwise go to our website and you'll find it there. Open it up on your tablet. <laughs> oh. Craig's got his uh, Bible on his tablet sometimes, doesn't he? Yeah. So. That means we printed just enough to make it to the end. All right, top of page 21. Humble yourself under God. Defiance of authority is sometimes treated as if it were a virtue in American culture. Describe the insubordination we witness each day in our society. Let me count the ways. It's been on the news, just January this. Sure. <laughs> insubordination by people just marching right into the Capitol and not really caring that they're not supposed to be there or the police are trying to stop them. Sure. Well, people are getting shot every day because they don't listen to the cops say, put that gun down. Insubordination, but when the, the authorities say, you know, put your hands up, put your weapons, you know, keep your hands up, you know, they don't listen or they run. And even. As seemingly, some people consider seemingly insignificant, like the start of the pandemic when the government was wanting people to social distance, no groups larger than so many people, and had all these restrictions. We were out in the parking lot worshiping, and, and some people took stance, stands, certain sides to that issue, and even to this day. It's my right, it's my freedom. Well. Yes, but we also are called to honor, to submit. And that's when they go against the, they're insubordinate toward the church and God's word, and they don't consider others before themselves. So yeah, that, that insubordination has definitely been on the forefront ever since the start of the pandemic, many riots that happened after the pandemic and so forth. You, you see insubordination everywhere. And what's behind it all is my rights. Now you have people demanding their rights to murder their children. It's in every way, uh, we are geared to rebel against authority. Well, it started in the garden. Right. I have the right to be like God. What are some ways we are tempted to clothe ourselves? So we can't just point at society, right? What are some ways we are tempted to clothe ourselves in defiance, arrogance, and insubordination? Well, I think just on a smaller scale with churches, you know, when people go church shopping because they want a church that caters to their personal Sure. <laughs> you can't tell me to believe that. You can't say that's true. I don't want that. So definitely the insubordination against church leaders and shopping for the one that's not going to call them to submit to any of God's word. Or even more insignificant things like the music style isn't what I prefer or Sure, my preference is the most important. How, right. how dare you tell me that your preference is better than mine? 
Whereas what they should be looking at is, you know, is God's word taught and submitting themselves to, to, to that gospel. Right. And I'd put that under probably arrogance, because uh, I said, you know, defiance, arrogance, and insubordination, they're all, they're all related. Basically putting yourself above others, that you are the ultimate voice, the ultimate authority in your life. Well, let's look at what Paul says in 5, five to 7 here. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So just looking at these verses, what are at least three reasons for humbly submitting to authority? Starting with ourselves, and, and then it's the message we carry. Why? So, got one, Ryan? Uh, it's commanded by God. Okay, God says, humble yourself. That right there should be enough when he says, submit to your elders, clothe yourself with humility to one another. That command should cause every Christian to be with their head hanging low and saying, excuse me, pardon me, um, you go first. Uh, your, your will is more important than mine in this case. To yield to everyone around us in humility. And submission. Yeah. So we got the command. What else? It says, so he may exalt you. Okay. Yeah, there's a promise. Um, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. This, there's two reasons there. One, he's going to lift you up in due time, but it's under his hand that you humble yourself. Not, not under the hand of some oppressive... Uh, you know, stealing your, your freedoms person or authority, but rather it's under God that you view yourself submitting, not them. And if you're under God's hand, he will lift you up. So there's a gospel promise attached too, uh, that if I submit, yes, I'll, I'll feel low and put down, but God is the one who will lift me up. So we got two reasons, actually three. One would be God commands it, God promises to lift us up. It's under God's hand. Yeah. A fourth, I don't know what you want to call it, but that casting your anxiety in him because he cares for you. If, if you put your arrogance, proudness in yourself, or even, for that matter, in an authority, then you're not necessarily placing God and showing that you trust him to be caring for you. Right, so what, what's behind that pride and arrogance? It's protection of self and your what you're going to get, you know, what's coming to you. But if, if you know God cares for you, it's so much easier to let go of that, that defense, that protection of your rights and say, God will provide, God cares for me. So really, another reason would be your faith in God to provide, the, the, the faith in the God who cares for you. You don't have to earn your way, fight your way through life to defend your rights. God will watch out for you and he'll lift you up as needed and in due time. And finally, I could add a, a fifth one. So we got four so far. Right there, and maybe your Bible indents it. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So if you are proud, you're not only against all the people around you, you're against your God. So you're not going to win that one. Describe how each of those promises, we listed five things. Three of them, are, at least, were promises. Each of those promises above tied to the completed work of Christ as he journeyed from cross to crown. So, of all the things that we mentioned as reasons for submitting, how did Christ complete that work? How does it tie to him? Well, he humbled himself. 
Okay, yeah, so humble yourself. Christ did that in order to be lifted up. So he went from cross to crown by lowering himself and he trusted in the Father to raise him from the dust of death to glory. And Christ fulfilled that for us. So we know we will follow him. Most of all, he shed his blood to redeem us. Right. Sin had to be paid for with blood and he gave it all. So he humbled himself under God's mighty hand in order to take that hand off of us and to pay the price to cover our sin. And he's sitting at the right hand of God and we're going to be right there also. Yeah, so if, if, if Christ was lifted up, if he went from cross to crown, he is now the one who sits interceding on our behalf and you cast your anxiety on him, he hears you, he cares for you. So the, the very fact that Christ has the crown assures us our prayers are answered for the sake of Christ who is exalted. Yeah, so Christ was humbled, Christ was lifted up. Christ, as our exalted king, hears our prayers. All those things tie in with Christ and his work. All right, let's keep going to the next section. So verse 8. I titled this um, section, Join with the Suffering Family of Believers. So now we get to picture... As Peter encourages us as we walk our life, journeying from cross to crown, you're not alone. And you're following with the, the whole church on earth. First of all, what will a lion look for when it's targeting its prey? The weakest of the bunch. Sure, the weakest. It'll, it'll find either a, an injured animal or a, a young, immature animal that can't keep up with the herd. Maybe one that's straying away and separate because they need to isolate one creature. They, they can't go after the whole herd at once. So isolated, weak. Let's read 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9. Reader for that. Okay. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him firm in the faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Thanks. So can you share some ways the devil will identify a target that's weak? So he's described as prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What are some ways he will identify a target that's weak and ready to devour? Well, if you're firm in your faith, he's not going to attack. He wants, he'll attack people that aren't in the Word. Sure, he wants someone who's stumbling, not really confident in the Word and in the Word. Someone who's not able to resist his attack. It's a little disconcerting that he's not just grabbing an opportunity when he stumbles across it, but that he's actively on the prowls, actively looking. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate it for our interview at ALA the president of ALA said, the principal. Principal, yeah. principal of ALA said, the devil's active and he's here. He's on this campus too, you know, looking to devour the students. So we need to remember he's actively looking, seeking for prey, and he's targeting those that need to be devoured, not those that are already lost. He wants to keep those that are lost, lost, but he's looking to devour Christians. They're the ones that are going to escape his grasp. 
So what about a Christian who is not gathering with other believers, right? Someone who's isolated from the flock. If we're going back to the start of chapter 5, we are sheep. And when we start to stray from the rest of the herd, the devil sees someone who's isolated and a prime target. Peter urges us to resist the devil as we stand firm in the faith. Can you identify two ways we can say we don't do this alone? Sure. We don't do it alone because, first of all, read earlier in the chapter, we've been given shepherds and we've been given a chief shepherd. So our chief shepherd watches over us, our God, and we also have shepherds over the flock. So spiritual friends that can counsel us, spiritual leaders in our church body, pastors that feed us the word and guide us in the word. We don't do this alone. God has given you a shepherd. So don't think you have to face your spiritual struggles alone. That's one way we're not alone. Our shepherd, our chief shepherd, and the, shep the under-shepherd he's given you. Well, and Scripture encourages us to don't get out of the habit of meeting together. And in Proverbs, I brought it up before, that one verse where, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We sharpen each other's faith. Right. So we're not alone in that we have a shepherd, and we're not alone in there's a flock to gather with. Uh, Peter says here, your family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So he says, you're not alone. There's other Christians. Those are Christians we should be seeking to find we can gather with that are united in faith with us, and we can work together in and grow together, spread the gospel together. So we're not alone in that we have a shepherd. We're not alone in that there's a, a flock to gather with around safety this world. Numbers. <laughs> right, not so much safety numbers as really strength in numbers. Uh, so you can, you'll see that when the lion's going after, even the little young calf, all the, the big animals will surround around it to keep it safe. So when, when the devil's trying to devour a child, and that child has a, a church home, they're, they're safer, and that they can be surrounded and protected from the attacks of the enemy. Good. Uh, Conquerors through Christ is a parasynodical ministry of the wells. So our church body has this uh, side ministry that's operated, not directly supported by wells, but supported through wells, pastors, and, and teachers. It uses the mantra, resist, reject, and recover to, battle those, to help those battling addiction to pornography. Evaluate and explain how that mantra fits Peter's response to the devil's temptations. So resist, reject, recover. What's Peter's instruction for fighting the devil? To, to resist? Yeah, most translations that start chapter 9 say, resist him. We actually, now that we have been called to faith, have the power to resist the devil. Uh, before we came to faith, we were slaves to sin and the devil. But now we've been empowered by the power of God's working to actually say no to ungodliness, to resist temptation. We're not helpless anymore or slaves to sin. So that resist fits and then reject. Uh, you're going to hear this Sunday um, in confirmation, part of the, the vow when someone joins our church body and publicly confesses their faith, they get to say they reject the devil and his lies and empty promises. So basically reject is to say, that's not good. You know, the, the devil's lies, the devil's trap is, is bad. It's sinful, it's wrong, it's destructive. And finally, how about recover? In that one verse, it 
says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Sure. Turning to the Lord is part of our recovery. And actually, we didn't read it yet, but verse 10 gets into that as well. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So the recovery that that um, addiction program offers is turning to God for not just forgiveness and the power to resist temptation, but to recover from the damage that has been done. There's a lot of trauma that comes from any type of addiction. There's guilt. And how do you recover? God works it. Turn to him in prayer, confession, receive absolution, recover as you connect with his gifts, uh, the word and sacrament. Can you briefly review Peter's letter to share how Christ guides and empowers and battle believers who face temptation? Now that we're nearing the end of our study, just page through this letter. What do we see that Peter says Christ gives to equip and empower us as we face temptation? I'll just have you start scanning at chapter 1 and on and see if you can find some things. What things in Peter's letter help us to resist, help us to embattle and face the temptation as we're embattled? resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, he mentions the resurrection of Christ. So keep your eyes focused on his victory as you face temptation. He's your living God. Peter's going to keep pointing us both in this first Peter and second Peter, not just to live your best life. He's going to point you to spiritual things, Christ on his throne, the kingdom that is going to come, the life that is going to come. That's our strength. Yeah, Bill, you got one? Well, we've been chosen by God, sanctified by the Spirit. Yeah, the, the choosing of God, the foreknowledge of God, God's calling, all those encourage and strengthen us as we face struggles. To know that God has called us from darkness to light, we have a, a position, a status, and a plan in God's kingdom. I'll add one too. I'm looking at verse two, verse or chapter two, verse two. Crave pure spiritual milk that you may grow up in your salvation. So Peter says, "Hey, you've tasted the goodness of God. Keep drinking it up. Become strengthened on that pure spiritual food." I take maybe one more. Just intended to be a quick review since we're nearing the end of the letter. Yeah. Sure. So I think James would have that. You know, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God, he gives without finding fault. So Peter will constantly remind us to turn to God, cast your anxieties on God, submit to him, trust in him. That's our strength. So notice it's not, hey, Christian, pull yourself by the bootstrap. It's our strength is found in Christ. And as we saw throughout this letter, Peter is just trying to review the basic truths of what Christ has done. The, the Apostles' Creed from cross to crown is all outlined for us. He wants us to see the, the core message of Christ, and he's our strength. Okay. Uh, what are some other types of addictions, abuse, or trauma which place a person in a dangerous place of temptation to fall into sin or despair? 
And can you think of other types of addiction that can really destroy a person, that can be the devouring of our, our enemy over them? Any, I'm saying this, anything that is your master other than Christ. Yeah. We become enslaved, controlled, really, by that sin. I mean, it could be a fishing addiction, drinking, drugs, but can't get up in the morning. Right, so you could, you could start going under the, the first commandment, you know, <laughs> idols, things that will, <laughs> idols and things that will kind of become your God or take precedence over God and his worth. I heard uh, Jerry mention wealth, right? So it could be wealth, it could be hobbies, interest, it could be um, the third commandment, and you no longer love God's word, but there are things you love over his word. Sure. So the, the blindness to our own faults, maybe something that we could umbrella under the narcissism that we all struggle to not fall back into. Yeah. How do we create an environment that keeps us alert? He says, resist the devil, be alert. So how do we create that alert environment so we're aware of the devil's roaming and we're strong, we're enabled to resist his attacks? Right here. Yeah. So yeah, be in the word. Gather with fellow believers around the word, discuss the word, meditate on the word. Kind of preaching to the choir at this point. And if anyone listened to the recording this far, thank you for joining us. Hope it built you up with us. How about 1 Peter 5.10? How do we stay alert? The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So there we go, once again, right? Cross to crown, his eternal glory. You're called after you've suffered a little while. That's the cross will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God will do it. God will strengthen you. He who called you will equip you, will carry you through this journey. Explain. When Christians are suffering, they might be at the same time their most vulnerable and yet also find their greatest strength. Yeah. And in, in that hardship, when you're suffering, that's the point where the devil sees you at your weakest and you're ready to give in to despair or you're ready to just stumble in your faith or you turn to God and you find you have more strength than you thought you had because you're trusting in him more and you're turning to him more than you had been before that suffering came. Yeah. I'm sure all of us have experienced that at one point or another that we think we're standing firm and in our weakness when we're just about to stumble further, we realize in our weakness is found God's strength. Uh, let's review. Jesus' response to temptation and great trials while well, he lived in our place. So remember when Christ walked this earth, how did he resist, reject, and he didn't have to recover, but he aided those who were needing recovery. How did he respond to temptation and trials? 
He directly resisted the devil. He just, away from me. And we're, I don't know exactly where, but it's also the Bible tells us to resist the devil and he will flee. Yeah. Um, and he was in prayer a lot. Yeah. So we got resist the devil found in scripture. Jesus prayed. So directly tell the devil, I know what you're up to. I know your plan. I'm in Christ and then turn to Christ. Uh, so both those things is actually, I think Luther emulated that, that idea of actually not so much praying to the devil, but speaking out loud to just let him know you've lost. Christ is mine. I am his. And then turn to Christ in prayer. You know, Luther taught in his prayer, the morning and evening prayer, send your holy angel to be with me that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Uh, not help me to, you know, on my own strength, but rather strengthen me. We even see how Christ was strengthened after his temptation, according to his human nature, was strengthened by God, uh, both in the, the garden of Gethsemane and after the wilderness temptation. Yeah. Reminded of <clears throat> saying, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> that is so hard. Right. So the, the idea that you've got to do your part and then maybe God will help you out. No, it's cast all your cares on him. He, he will strengthen you. All right, to close our study out now, page 22. This final portion, verse 10 to 11. I titled this, A Little Suffering, Eternal Glory. We've read verse 10 already. I'm going to add verse 11. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So as Peter closes this letter, he returns to the theme of our study from cross to crown. So after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to eternal glory, that God will himself restore you. So let's review the letter once more. How do the following truths come from these closing verses describe this letter? So the God of all grace, how do we find that in this letter? Yeah, the, the grace of God is outlined and he hears our prayers. He's a forgiving God. We talked about earlier in, I think it was chapter 1 and 2, how he paid the price, his blood was shed. He paid the ransom even though he was innocent to set us free. He's a gracious God. Uh, that he would pay that price, that he would listen to us and treat us with grace. How about chapter 1? An inheritance, which is yours. We didn't earn that inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. But it's the God of grace who won that for us, who gives it to us. So yeah, throughout this letter, he's the God of all grace. How about called to eternal glory? How do we find that throughout this letter? So Peter's like doing a reverse theme thing. As he, as he closes his letter, he wants to reflect on all of his themes. Well, chapter 1. Sure, chapter 1, it mentions that. He chose us. He chose you. Right at the very start of the letter. Uh, his eternal glory. We find that throughout the letter, don't we? that we're called to eternal joy, eternal glory, uh, the crown that will never fade, he mentioned just as we read. And then also called you, look at chapter 2, you've been called out of darkness into light. Uh, so it's God's working. How about suffered a little while? How do we see that throughout the letter? Definitely saw that in chapter 5 already, right? Yeah, this, this is not going to be a, a little bit. It's always going to be 
coming up in believers' lives. What do you find in chapter 3? Suffering from doing good all the way from 8 to the end. Yeah, chapter 3 to chapter 4 really start with this idea that, Christian, you're going to suffer as you do good. You're going to suffer as you're insulted. You're going to suffer as you serve. Then he gets at the end of chapter 4 to rejoice while you're suffering, but you're going to suffer. So this life, and he talks about while we're in the body, we will suffer. But no longer while we're in the body do we live for sinful desires, but for him who rescued us. Um, what about this? We'll restore, strengthen, and establish you. That's found throughout the letter. How do we find that throughout the letter? Well, verse 19 of chapter 4, So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Yeah, so he will restore you. God's will. He's faithful. This is going to happen, uh, that God will restore you as he promised. We have a faithful God, and he has a plan for us. It's all according to his will. Kind of doing a quick review. Any others on that one? Finally, the theme of the letter too, to God be the glory, as he says here. We find that throughout the letter too, don't we? Occasionally he'll break out into a, a doxology and mention Christ who is forever praised and talk about how it's not we are the ones who are going to enjoy that crown. In fact, um, if you turn back a page, uh, let's see. When we were talking about the crown of glory, I think I missed that one in our previous study. He said the shepherd will receive a crown. No one will take our crown from us, but what are we going to do with our crown in the end? Revelation 4.10 talks about we'll cast our crowns at his feet. It's a popular, English, a popular um, Christian music group that's called Casting Crowns. That's where they got their title from. That Yes, you know, God is giving us a crown of glory, a crown of life. We're going to lay those crowns at his feet and say, yours is the glory, yours is the power, yours is the kingdom. It's all from Christ for Christ. So to God be the glory. Okay, that was just a review. Any other thoughts on that verse, verse 10 and 11? That really summarizes Peter's letter very well, I think. That you're going to suffer for a little while, but God will restore you and strengthen you and establish you forever. Next uh, section I have is, you're not alone, you never will be. Silas, remember he wrote with Peter, testified about the true grace of God. Peter's letter pours out the pure spiritual milk he urged us to drink in chapter 2. Scan through the letter again and share what you found to be the most encouraging truths in which you will stand firm in and drink up daily by God's grace. So he said, drink up pure spiritual milk. He gave it to us in this letter. What was your favorite milk or your favorite side dish in this letter as you scan through it that you want to hold on to and stand firm in? So I'll give you half a minute to, to scan through the letter once more. And, or if maybe there's something pops into your mind right away, that's fine too. At this point in the recording, I'll put in some, like, on hold music. <laughs> do, do, do. They say you're not supposed to have more than five seconds of silence. There's a long list, but it's clear he's 
chosen us. That's super encouraging. Definitely good to hold on to, the, the encouragement of being chosen. When we just went over, he will restore, strengthen, and establish you. That, that again, is incredibly encouraging. And right. Oddly enough, I find it encouraging that he tells us we're going to suffer, but then he tells us the outcome in the end right. and what he's going to do for us. So, yeah, encouraging to know you've been called, chosen, that that means he's got a plan he will carry out, and we know where that plan will go. So that, that's encouraging. This is not a, a fluke that you, Christian, face suffering, but rather it's part of your journey from cross to crown. I think you're right in that because like, I get so much anxiety like wondering if something bad is going to happen. Like, what if this happens or what if this happens? But to be told that actually bad things are going to happen, it's just going to happen. <laughs> Right. That itself isn't <laughs> right. That itself isn't the comfort, but rather you know where you're going in the end. Right. Exactly. So to to look at the eternal plan of God carries you through the what Peter calls here suffered a little while. Yeah. Just the mutual encouragement, the fellowship, and everything is is. To me, is real encouraging and helpful. Sure. Uh, I don't see why. Well, I know you got some folks that are introverts or whatever. They just don't like crowds or whatever. But still, this is a big that, crowd, big scary crowd here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> half the tables are half full. So I had to sit at a table. Yeah. But even a, even, even a church service can be intimidating to some folks. But I just find this so. To be around like-minded. Right. No, that's definitely something that will stick with me is the, it's always worth the time. It's always <laughs> worth the effort to dig. Even if you're just going to spend, like we did about 10 weeks in First Peter, it's going to be worthwhile. And you're going to benefit from it. So that, that's something that always sticks with me after a Bible study. So if you're an introvert and you're listening to this at home, probably half the people here are also introverted, but they kept coming and they found it worthwhile. So I would say that is... Something I'm glad to hear will stick with you, too. Okay, any other thoughts on things you'd share? I'm going to then jump to the final page here. We're on page 22. Chosen and called from cross to crown. Throughout the letter, we got one, two, three, four times Peter says you're chosen. One, two, three, four, five times he says you're called. Let's read the final verses. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. So does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ. So, as is common, at the end of the letter, if someone else was involved or going to be part of the correspondence, he includes Silas. So, it appears Peter had Silas help him write this. People also speculate Peter's actually the one that wrote the Gospel of Mark, who he calls here his son. John Mark isn't literally Peter's son, but Mark was a companion of the Apostle Paul and likely the one who wrote his Gospel account with Peter dictating it to him, it seems. So Peter must not have been very good at writing or something like that because he was a fisherman 
And God didn't give him that gift, but God did give him Silas to help him write this. Some people say, well, maybe Silas just carried it, and Peter really was eloquent. Well, Peter's kind of poked at for having a thick Galilean accent. Peter's poked at for you know, being unschooled by the, the Sanhedrin. So it kind of makes sense. Silas would help him write this, and that Mark would help him write the gospel. And you read 2 Peter, which we'll get into in September. People say, well, 2 Peter couldn't have been written by Peter. The style's so different. It's, it's very broken up Greek and not quite as eloquent you know, as far as language mastery, but content-wise, it's, it's marvelous. So maybe Peter wrote without the help of Silas, and he's near death as he's writing 2 Peter, the, the second letter that he writes about the same time, we think. So with that in mind, he says, the she who is in Babylon, I give you a side note there. It's on the side note on page 22. It's unlikely it refers to ancient Babylon, which by then was actually a very small rundown town. There wasn't much left of the ancient city of Babylon in the the time of the early church. And and also that became a term uh, that quickly became known as the place where God's enemies rule. And so Babylon was a nickname picked up for Rome. And we actually see that quite common in the early church. Uh, Babylon is also a nickname for Rome in Revelation. So the Apostle John equates Babylon with the center of opposition against God's people, the city of Rome. And it becomes a picture, a symbol for all the the cities. At that time, it was Rome that stand against God in this world. Uh, When Peter was originally centered in Jerusalem, it's apparent he made his way to Rome and served there for a time where tradition states he was crucified upside down under Nero's oppressive rule. So it makes sense as Peter's writing these letters, he'd be in Rome, which he either encode or just with that title to refer to it, Babylon, means that city where so many Christians suffer. Uh, So he says, hey Christians, you in Asia Minor, you think you're suffering? I'm in Rome. And then he says, together with you sends her greetings. So Peter's basically saying to the Asia Minor Christians, the Christians in Rome, they're suffering, and they they greet you, Christians in Asia Minor. Uh, So you're not alone. He's kind of encouraging these uh, far-field mission churches, so to speak, that Paul had started uh, a decade earlier. Okay, so Christians were living where believers were facing the greatest persecution, and compare that with 1 Peter 5, 9. He says, Resist him, standing firm. You know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter's kind of hinting at where he is and the suffering that's going on there. But from there, they write to the rest of the church to offer encouragement. So the heart and core of opposition, Rome, has a church that writes to the rest of the church and encourages them. Isn't that something? Uh, That where the suffering is the, the hottest, they're saying to other believers, stand fast. So let's look at the following to see how we share in God's calling with all those called to suffer on their way from eternal glory with Christ. So chosen and called. I put these in chronological order throughout the letter. I thought this would be a good way to finish our study. And I'm glad some of you mentioned this as one of your things you want to hold on to, that we're chosen and called. 1 Peter 1.2, he says, he writes to you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So, take a look at that to see how we are chosen by our triune God, right? There you see God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. 
And it's by his plan and foreknowledge that we are chosen to belong to him, to be made holy and sprinkled with his blood. How about 1 Peter 2, 4 to 6? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So God chose our Savior, but what happened to him? He went from cross to crown. He is the one who is the cornerstone now, but he suffered, was rejected. So isn't that marvelous that we are chosen to follow the chosen one from cross to crown, from suffering to glory. Look at 2 verse 9. You are a chosen people. And he describes our, our status as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And also in verse 9, he talks about us being called. They may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness to his wonderful light. So we are chosen for a purpose, right? Chosen to have a, a new standing. That should be encouraging as we close this letter to see how God has chosen us to be royalty, chosen us to be special in his sight. Not because of what we've done, but because of the, the great high priest. And then 1 Peter 5.13, we just read, right? She who is chosen. Other believers are chosen around the world. If you see someone that's part of the church by faith, they've been called, chosen to the same plan that you were in. And then called, 1 Peter 1.15. There we read, but just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. So called from darkness to a, a holy life. First Peter 2.9, we just read that one about called, right? Called to declare his praises. So we not only have a new status as holy in a priesthood, but we have a new purpose to praise our God, to declare the gospel in this dark world. First Peter 2.21 To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving as you an example, that you might follow in his steps. So we're actually called, as we just discussed, to suffer and endure it, and to serve God while we suffer. 1 Peter 3.9, jump there. So this is the fourth out of five callings. 3.9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. So part of our Christian attitude, response towards those who harm us, is to follow Christ, not only in suffering, but follow him in the way we respond to the world around us. In 1 Peter 5.10, once again, getting back to that chapter with how we're called, which we read earlier today. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So we're called to a new status, we're called to a new purpose, we're called to a new position, and we're called to eternal glory. I thought it would be a good review to just look at that in First Peter to cap off this letter once again. Any other thoughts as we conclude our study on First Peter? Yeah. Um, well, this is a whole new subject, but chosen has always been really difficult for me. Um, can you be unchosen or were you just never chosen in the first place? 
Right, I think we talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's a paradox uh, that if we are chosen by God and called, which is part of being chosen, he chose us in grace, we know that, not because of what we've done. Does that mean that there's someone who can be unchosen if they reject God? Does that mean God didn't choose you? So that, that's the paradox, is we can only say, if we're a believer, that, that choosing is listed for our comfort. And it should assure us, you know, I, God's not going to unchoose me, as you, know, you expressed it, that somehow I, I'm not worthy and suddenly I won't be chosen. It's, it's in grace he chose us. He will continue to carry us through. But what about those who aren't saved? Does that mean they were never chosen? That's the paradox of election. It means they get all the blame for rejecting God, but we never see God saying he chose them to be condemned or chose them to unbelief. We actually came across that in this letter where it's, he was talking in chapter 2, I believe, about uh, this is what they were destined for. Actually, the, the better translation is this is what is going, you know, what will happen. They stumble over Christ, not because he makes them stumble. So unbelief is what condemns, not that God chooses us for condemnation. And that unbelief will cause you to stumble over Christ. And he says, which is also what they were destined for, he's saying, if they do not believe, yeah, they will stumble. That's what will happen. It's a, it's a given. Um, Second Peter is going to kind of touch on that a little bit when it comes to my mind what it says. To God a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. In other words, God's eternal. At any point in time, which is meaningless to him because he's eternal, he knows what has happened, he knows what's going to happen, and, and so forth. So, even at the Garden of Eden, he knew about this gathering here today. That's what makes it so mind-boggling to think about. It. And we don't have that capacity right. to think about that. That's why it's so important to accept the Word. God says we were chosen, we were chosen. It's revealed and we understand things yeah. happening on a time scale, but you almost have to get rid of time to answer that question, which we're just not capable of even doing fathoming the wisdom of God apart from time. I'm sorry my answer was so long. Basically, it's, it's not explained. It's a paradox. If we're saved, it's because God chose us and he gets the credit and he called us. He gets the glory. If we're not saved, God's not involved in any way in not choosing us. It's us rejecting him. That's the only way scripture presents it. Those two sides of the coin. We've got to be careful not to say the converse must be true because scripture doesn't talk about it. I think the closest scripture comes to explaining it is to say that God wants all men to be saved and to come to an end to the truth. Right. So that, that's his desire. That's what he wants. And Peter will say that in his second letter. The reason the world's not destroyed yet is he wants everyone to come to repentance. So I, I think we can take, thankfully, we can take off the slate that God's ever going to unchoose us. That's, that's comforting. Well, it's just concern. Yeah. Hold it to it. Yep. <laughs> And God, our, he's our faithful creator. We'll, we'll keep that in our prayers too, that uh, he'll continue to, to work on that. that that's, that's fine. That's what we're here to discuss and encourage and pray about. So. All this discussion on time reminds me that we'll be back to the future when Doc Brown's going nuts thinking about the disruption of the time continuum. It's a paradox. <laughs> right. God, in his wisdom, what we saw in this letter is he in his wisdom has foreknowledge and he's got a calling and a plan. And that, that even includes times of suffering, times when 
Some believers, like, like Peter, might deny their Lord, but at, at times then be forgiven and called back. God's plan in the end is going to be something we'll all marvel at, that he worked despite us uh, to strengthen, to recover, restore. Any other thoughts on this letter as we close it out? We're about at our time, so I'm going to uh, have us pick up next time. I want to mention this briefly before we conclude here is next time we're going into 2 Peter. 1 Peter was all about dealing with the persecution of the world, the suffering because of your faith. 2 Peter is going to deal with false teaching. So it's very different. It's the internal struggle. So now that you believer, you, you might get past the, the idea that you have to carry a cross and suffer from the world that insults you. How are you going to deal with the false teachers from within? And that's what Peter really addresses. His second letter, he's going to be saying, I, I know I don't have much time left, and I want you to remind you of these things so you're aware that when false teachers come along that you can stand. So that, that's another danger. One danger is we don't see the full picture from cross to crown. Uh, I'm, I'm titling the next study because he talks about pay attention to the light while you're in the darkness until the morning dawns. And he tells us to look to the prophets, the apostles. One of the best verses on divine inspiration is found in his letter. He expounds on false teachers. So next time when we meet, we'll be with Peter again, but it'll be a whole different topic as he carries us from darkness to dawn. And that'll be our studies. We look at the light in the dark world. So I hope you can join us for that starting September. We'll be taking a August off. This is great. Glad having everyone here for this first Peter study. Thank you for your participation and your time. It'll be posted online before too long so you can share the whole study. It's already mostly up there. Why don't we conclude with a prayer about what we studied. Lord, we thank you that you have encouraged us, strengthened us, and will continue to be with us according to your faithful working, just as Christ went from cross to crown. We know we will suffer for a little while, but you, the God of all grace, will strengthen, establish, and restore us until we join with all believers in that crowning light of glory. Carry us through according to your working as we praise you, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.